Welcome to the HVACR Radio Podcast. Tonight we've got all the guys back together to do another podcast with Jason Stiano from National Compressor, a remanufacturer of compressors. What do you guys got going on this week? I had a uh, bearing replacement on a fallout ice machine. Um, it had, or the customer complained of uh, black ice, and usually that means that the bottom bearing has failed and is releasing the grease into the uh, water, which is then making ice. Uh, pulled it apart, and the bearing was uh, destroyed pretty much. There was nothing left of any of the bearing material, and then the housing that it sits in was uh, basically sits in a stainless steel cup with an aluminum insert in it, and the aluminum insert had steel embedded in it, and it was all messed up, dented. It was pretty bad. Um, also did a, another Cornell pump seal today with Ulysses, um, along with a new motor. So we had found the motor with open windings, probably, I think it was last year we found it and the customer approved it now. So ended up doing that today. That went pretty simple. The, uh, the pump is bright white, so it stands out a little bit, but the motor, I mean, sorry, the motor. Um, so it, uh. Stands out a little bit, but hopefully with time it'll be the same color as all the others. Would you happen to know if that's the fallet bearing that I changed out? About so I wasn't going to go there, but yes, it is. The, it is really? It is the <laughs> fallet bearing that Ulysses and Ruben changed. when. Keep my here. name out of this, please. So uh, <laughs> it looks like it, it was either missing a seal or something Negative. had happened during the install. But, Negative. Um, hey, somebody ran, somebody ran went for in two and years. took that seal out. <laughs> Supposedly ran for two years, so um, well, you we'll just s- got the call now. We'll see how it goes, but yes, it is. I believe the one that oh, you my changed. first TDI callback. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. That's a lie. Okay, <laughs> but yeah, that's it. My for me. first known TDI callback. Okay, that's really also good. a lie. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, what did I do this week? Um, nothing. I have been. <sighs> shadowing some guys and that's a big shadow (laughs) oh absolutely (laughs) i actually do shadow them but uh (laughs) nothing man i mean uh we did a we tried to do a startup on a uh on two 105 ton aon units and just like every other startup you go and there's no power um no power at the disconnect um you have to contact the the GC, he has to contact the electrician. The electrician has to come out here and restore power or apply power. And then we check correct uh, phasing. And, of course, it was backwards on both of them. And so needless to say, the whole day we pretty much did our preliminary checks, you know, check loose wires, tighten all connections, and make sure none of the fans are rubbing on anything. Uh, Kind of just the manual labor of it, but we really couldn't even start up the units because it took all day for electricians to get there and then come back and then get there and come back. So, so you guys just wait around while they're well doing their thing. We wait around because the GC says he'll be here in fifteen minutes. And how often does that happen? Exactly, um, they don't show up. It'll be so like an hour. So, how do you get that sweet neck gator? Which one? The mask that you were wearing in your Instagram post oh, today. Oh, um, yeah. that one was actually given to me by 
one of the guys uh, that went to Aon Training in Oklahoma, so I think that's where he got it from. Was that used? It was. No, I'm just kidding. I was going hand me down. Yeah, it was a hammy. The last guy who wore it died from coronavirus. <laughs> yep. Speaking of Wait, coronavirus. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little under the weather, but not, not the Rona. So he says. Can you get? I haven't been tested yet. I won't. I'm not going to get tested because we're we're six feet apart. I'll never be positive for that. What'd you do, Ulysses? Um, So this weekend, me and Cameron drove down to Houston, or right outside of Houston. We actually picked up um, two refrigeration condensing units, which we plan to tear apart at some point and start doing some YouTube videos with that. Just going through all the components and. on Monday, I changed out a headmaster and repaired a leak on a discharge valve on a stainless steel uh, to copper. So that was pretty interesting. Um, I was going to say, before <clears throat> a little mishap that happened, I wasn't thinking. I was trying to pump the unit down before I brazed the Discharge line before I recovered the refrigerant. So we get a little careless sometimes, and I close the inlet to the receiver instead of the outlet. And I pumped it down, and it turned off right away. So me being a dummy that I am, I um, pushed in the contactor, and it started sounding pretty funny. And I'm like, what's going on? So Like it's running really high head pressure. Yeah, exactly. So... Then I see a cloud of smoke, <laughs> but it was just that leak on the discharge line had thankfully opened up before anything happened, but my high pressure switch did open because whenever I, after the repair, I went to go restart it and it wouldn't start and I <laughs> reset the high pressure switch. So it had gone off on high head pressure. So just take a minute and make sure you double check what you're closing and opening because that could have been a bad day for me. Um, also, might not be a bad idea to throw some gauges on it. Well, I did, but I had it on the liquid line. Oh. So it wasn't really telling me much. So I guess having a gauge on the discharge and or just liquid cl- or line. Or just close the right valve. Or close the right valve. But like I said, I just. I've done that. It happens. I mean, you yes, just have, you have to you have to be careful. And like I said, just check it twice and that might. I thought I'd blew up the <laughs> compressor Probably at first. There's a gasket or something, but thankfully it just started pissing out of that um, little crack on the discharge line. Uh, and then we changed the on the unit. Um, two units down, this place has a couple, it's like 18 condensing units. We replaced the headmaster valve, and that went pretty well. And then we started, started the unit up and the controller it's got a dixel controller and we weren't uh the controller wasn't sending any power to the valve to operate it wasn't closing or opening so i'm gonna throw in a ke2 on that system ketotherm ke2 evaporator (laughs) efficiency it's the key to efficiency nice at least the key to making the valve open Something hopefully, yeah, because it was flooding back, and we're like, something's not right here. So, <clears throat> a little tip is whenever you're checking the EV, even though they are DC, you put your meter on AC 
And while it's opening and closing, you should read 12 to 14 volts on the set of windings. So usually I'll have two sets of windings for spoiling valves. So <clears throat> just check and you should be reading about 12 to 14 for a few seconds while it's trying to operate. Yeah, while it's stepping? While it's stepping, yeah. And, and then whenever it gets to whatever position it is, it it'll go to zero, zero volts. So speaking of, uh, is that it? Yeah. Speaking of uh, Ketotherm, John, uh, we had John on the podcast a few weeks ago, and we had been mentioning, to or Chad had actually brought it up, that we had a site that had some sensor failures. Um, and th- and he, you know, thinking that it was kind of an unusual situation for that many sensor failures at a site, he asked if he could come by uh, while he was in town and take a look at that site. So we met up with him yesterday afternoon and uh, not only went over the, sensors uh, it turns out it was just really a, a placement issue with the oems where they were putting the suction line temp sensors on the units from the manufacturer was causing some of the failures but then he went through some of the other settings on the units with us and showed us how to uh, navigate you know some of the other programs they have if you guys haven't checked out their website they've got a few other programs that can make your life easier what was the one called Na- navigator or something like that this the site it's called uh, the one I that pulled up all the IP addresses. Night. Yeah, I have I, to look at. I it, can't remember exactly what the name is. I thought it was like Navigate or something like that. But it it basically you enter that pr- if you're hooked up into the same IP address as the controllers, you go into this uh, particular program and it'll bring up all the site controllers on one page, and you can go through and see all the site controllers at one time. Uh, which is kind of handy for if you're up on the roof and, you know, you need to know another controller or control another controller from where you're at. It's called the Discovery Discovery. Tool. Thank you. So the Discovery tool, if you need that, download that. It worked out pretty good. And then he was just giving us some other tips and going through some of the settings with us. And I just thought it was really cool to have a, a manufacturer actually, you know, care enough to come out and meet with us. And he's actually going to be working with us quite a bit on this site. We didn't commission the site or install this the equipment at the site but even still he's gonna work with us and try to get some of the bugs that we've been having worked out and i don't know just nice to have a manufacturer come out and stand behind their product and be willing to help out so much with the you know getting it all up and running yeah he also hooked us up with the edge manager which i'm trying to i was playing with that last night so pretty much it's Kind of so you can see all the controllers in one space. And then um, we're going to have to go through all the settings and make a few changes. So that should be a little bit easier doing it that way. Yeah, you could either use the Wi-Fi service tool or you could use the Edge Manager. Um, The Edge Manager is cool because you can plug it into a switch on any of the controllers. Say like this site, we have uh, six condensing units, five condensing units something like that, but you could hook up the uh, edge manager at any one of the units on the roof or on the ground, wherever they're at, and then you can go to each different unit and look at the settings without disconnecting or reconnecting a, a Ethernet cable, basically. So, yeah, they got a lot of cool uh, tools out there that you can use to make your life a little easier. I think it's got Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, too, so you don't have to have a laptop. You, know, you can pull out your phone and go through the settings. Hey, what's the tool of the week this week, Ulysses? Well, this week I purchased the new Fieldpiece Joblink LC clamp. 
for the, I guess it goes anywhere from three quarters all the way to four. A little bit over. Four and an eighth inches. So the trouble that I've had with the, not trouble, I guess it's designed for copper only because it's got the rapid rail sensor technology. But I talked to Mr. Jim Bergman, and he said he's used it on galvanized aluminum, stainless steel, and it works. So excited to try that for bigger piping for ammonia and um, whatever, um, chiller piping. I think it's you still have to clean the surface, but I guess I'm going to test it out and see how that works. If you're using it on copper, it's the rapid rail. If you're using it on anything else, it's just the rail. <laughs> it's no rapid. Not so rapid. He said it, all the measurements were within a degree, so should be pretty cool tool. Pretty accurate. Especially, you know, we work on large refrigeration systems. Um, suction lines, I'm Chad saw, I almost broke my clamp trying to get it on a suction line i had to force it on there and it was maxed out <laughs> i was like i'm gonna break this thing so thankfully it didn't break yeah we used to fight with that a lot and before this was before um really any kind of clamps were out on the market we would basically take a you know like the Irwin quick clamps or whatever and then we would just take a fluke 52 and our analog gauges and if we were checking superheat on a coil we would just use that little pipe clamp to like clamp the thermocouple to the pipe but the the Velcro ones, or not the Velcro, the elastic clamps. ones are pretty cool. They're pretty nice, yeah. But the clamps are just easy, and it's, I mean, they're the first ones to come out with a large clamp like that. Pr- that'll make things a little easier, especially being wireless. Yeah, and I think everyone should probably have three clamps to check, you know. Like Don was saying, your discharge temp, your maybe your suction and your liquid. Get all three measurements at once. Just get like eight clamps, <laughs> fourteen probes. <laughs> Just do the whole roof at one time. Might as well. <laughs> now let's bring Jason from National Compressor on. Hey, tonight we've got Jason Stiano with us from National Compressor. How you doing, Jason? Doing well. Very good. How are you guys doing? Oh, uh, we're we're pretty doing good. Really we're hanging good. in there. Great. Good hey, to hear that. Hey, Jason. Uh, can you give us a quick rundown about yourself and then uh, about National Compressor? Sure. Well, obviously, I'm from National Compressor. Uh, I'm the director of operations. So um, I'm, I dive more into than so much the technical troubleshooting, even though some of the stuff I, I do get into some of that, but more on the remanufacturing side of the, of the company and the processes with that. Um, I've uh, been in the company since uh, 2004 after I got out of school. It's actually a uh, family business. So I kind of grew up in the industry on the compressor side and uh, the mechanical side, and um, uh, it's uh, it's it's a side of the business that you know I, I everybody knows you manufacture compressors, but I I think um, you know what we're doing here today is actually a good thing. They get the people get to hear a little bit more about um, you know uh, what goes into bringing a compressor back to um, like uh, almost like new quality. Uh, National Compressor has been around since uh, 1978. Um, it was founded in New York and, uh, at the beginning, you know, uh, we really, since inception had a strong emphasis on quality and we're a remanufacturer of, uh, most makes and models of air conditioning, refrigeration, refrigeration compressors. Awesome. Do you have anything, uh, recently that you have found interesting that you can talk about coming to the shop? Well, um, probably, uh, the past week we have a whole bunch of, um, 
um, old York open drive compressors, uh, FC-92s, and um, uh, which are, uh, you know, we have six-cylinder FC-62s and whatnot. Uh, and, um, you know, they're kind of rare. They're becoming like dinosaurs, uh, that particular model. And uh, we're doing a bunch of big pharmaceutical that, um, you know, they, they have some old equipment running, but they don't want to change it yet. So uh, they sent the whole bunch in. And like I said, it's not something that comes through the shop on a regular basis anymore. I got to ask you about that post that you post, or I don't know if it's you that runs the Instagram account or not, but somebody posted about that square L-body uh, Copeland yes. compressor. So yeah. what what is it? We got to know. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, that is also something that's a little odd that we does not come through the factory on a regular basis. That is a uh, actually uh, a water jacketed machine, so oh, okay. um, it's going to be piped in, uh, you know, uh, and it uh, helps cool the uh, compressor. So awesome! So can you give us a quick rundown about uh, so whenever a compressor comes in, uh, you get a core, uh, just a compressor mm-hmm. coming back that needs to be rebuilt. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown on the process from? Uh, when you guys get it until it gets out the door? Yeah, 100%. So when a compressor comes in, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, I should say, and most people probably know this, but, you know, we do not build, uh, we obviously do a lot on turnaround. Like I said, some of the old stuff like that old water jacket, um, even though we do stock some of them uh, and like those uh, old York open drives. Uh, but a lot of them is everything we already have in stock. And, you know, if you have a compressor that goes down, you, call us and or you go on one of our distributors or whatnot and the compressors are already in stock so we don't need the compressor to come in to do yours every time it's that's only on more of a custom basis and uh more unique items so a compressor uh you know at the beginning of the process you know we go to disassembly obviously that's the beginning of the process uh we have a, a massive uh core bank to keep the factory flowing at all times um and a compressor goes into disassembly um, I should probably do some posting showing more of the, the before because some of them are can look real bad. Um, and uh, they go into disassembly. We At that point, we start tearing them down, obviously drain the oil out if there's still oil in them. Um, take off, uh, you know, the heads, the end bells, the bottom pan, uh, the oil pump. And uh, at that point, it gets all shipped down in, in disassembly. Um, and... Uh, what we would at that point we throw a lot out as well. So um, the cast iron parts that are being taken off are going right into bins to be uh, put through the cleaning process because the cast iron components obviously are uh, reusable and remanufacturable. Um, the castings once they're bare they'll go into uh, the in the the, uh, the bins to go to go through the cleaning process. The crankshafts get saved um, or thrown out depending on. Um, the process that they're going to go through or how badly damaged they are. Uh, rods and pistons get uh, thrown away. All gaskets, all springs, all compression rings, oil rings, uh, valves, uh, you name it, all, all get, thrown, get thrown right out. Uh, we don't save any of that stuff. You can't reuse it, none of that. Now, the other important thing to mention is that everything that comes to our shop, it doesn't matter if um, we know a compressor that came in only ran five hours and it's pretty much like new or it ran, you know, for 20 years, it, if it comes in through the, in through our factory, it's going to go through the same process. And, and that's critical because, you know, when you, when you get a compressor from us, we, you know, like to say it's like new when it's done and every single one, especially because of our ISO, uh, standing, um, you know, the quality control that we run throughout the facility, 
it has to go through the same process every single one. So no matter how many hours of runtime or whatnot, it's going to go through the same process, go through each of the same steps in the, in the checkpoints. Um, at, at that point, after everything's torn down, um, as also the motors, I, I forgot to mention, we take the motors out, the motors come out, all compressors, um, some of them are open drive, but the ones that have uh, the state of rotor set in the uh, electrical motors, they'll be uh, taken out of the castings. And then that will then be separated and that will go through its own separate process, uh, separate from the casting, because we have our own in-house uh, motor rewind shop as well. So once it comes out of the, um, uh, comes out of this assembly, um, the castings and the, uh, the cast parts and all that, they go into a specialized ovens that we have that help uh, burn off the rest of the stuff. No chemicals are used to, to break down that stuff anymore. So it goes through a specialized uh, oven that burns that certain, certain temperature. And then after that comes out, all the oils and the paint and all that is um, is gone. It's uh, powdery. It's no longer, you know, uh, greasy and whatnot. So that's all burnt off. And then from there goes in through uh, one of our uh, shot blasting machines, which has a specialized shot to not um, uh, be, be too abrasive onto the bodies. But by the time, by the time it comes out, it literally looks like a, and I've definitely posted some stuff on our social media pages, which I'm sure you saw. Um, it comes out looking like it was newly casted back to bare metal, clean, all the paint and oil and everything is gone. So uh, nice, nice and clean. And like I said, looking like it's newly casted. Um, at that point, when it's done with that, it will then go over to the, uh, the castings will go through the machine shop. The other parts will then go through some other process to be, um, uh, um, uh, get the surfaces prepared, uh, you know, refinished and whatnot, so the gaskets can seal properly. Um, the valve plates get stripped down and um, go through their own separate process, which uh, I'll go through uh, in a little bit. And then the, um, at that point, after it comes out of out of that, before it heads over to the machine shop, um, they get fully QC'd, inspected, make sure there's no cracks um, or anything that could be. Um, an issue farther down the line, so we don't waste time and labor or, or whatnot. Um, and then after that, goes over to the machine shop, which is really one of the more uh, critical uh, aspects of the casting, to creating a really high quality remanufactured compressor. Uh, so all the cylinders are uh, inspected, and um, every single one will have to meet the exact criteria. Uh, we don't go on the, you know, uh, on the uh, outer limits of the uh, wear tolerances, we make sure it's right back to the money uh, as if it was newly manufactured, uh, except with the cases where we can, on certain models, we can um, oversize it, meaning we can go to uh, 20 thousandths over and then put a brand new piston in that matches that. So, you know, the, the tolerance between the piston and the cylinder and everything is exact. Um, and then if not, if it's, if it's too far gone, the cylinder where it can't be uh, it's worn way more than 20,000 or whatnot, we'll then um, put, uh, sleeve it back uh, on, on our uh, machining, on our machines and uh, put in uh, cylinder sleeves and then machine. And then that, at that point, um, after it's done on the uh, specialized high precision boring finishing machines, it'll then go over uh, to the next step in the process, which would be valve seat machining. We'll machine new valve seats in on, on the compressor castings. Uh, suction pin repair, if there's any pins broken there, or the, the pinhole is slightly worn. Uh, that's something that can definitely be overlooked uh, uh, if you're not careful with that. And if you're, not, you're really not spending doing the right job with remanufacturing or if you're 
doing more of like, I guess, a repair job, which unfortunately there's some companies out there that are more repair shops than remanufacturers. Um, and we'll um, check the, the suction pin, make sure that if not, we'll uh, repair that. And then we'll do another QC of the cylinder work. And then after that, it will go over to the honing, which is kind of the final step of the machining of the casting in, in regards to the cylinders. And from there, we'll you know make sure that we get the proper cross hatching is accomplished with, with our honing machines. And that, that is critical because um, uh, that will help uh, ensure that the proper seating of the uh, compression and oil rings. Uh, so the compressor doesn't push oil. Um, and so, that that is a highly critical spot, and at that point, then the, then the casting is technically done, and it'll go through another process to be cleaned again to get all the um, uh, coolant and some of the metal, de uh, you know, debris that might still be there. So then go through another whole cleaning process, uh, obviously not through the oven chopping again, but through more of like a, a washing uh, type process to you know get the casting uh, free of any metal debris and like coolant and, and what have you. I, I still have you guys. You're uh, you following along? Oh yeah, yes, sir. So we're here. Sounds good. Now, at that point, instead of uh, jumping right to the next step, I, let's backtrack a little bit. Um, you know, the some of the components. So, like I said, the the casting and the end bells and the bottom pans and whatnot. Um, after it's it's uh, blasted and cleaned and brought back to bare metal, it now goes through another inspection. So it gets checked to make sure that um, where there might be a gasket that meets up to, like, say, for the suction uh, suction service valve or the discharge that there's no, uh, you know, gasket left in the crevices or whatnot. And that, and that will get machined a new surface or clean. And um, the surfaces where the gasket is going to seat up against the body, they will be uh, put on a machine to cut a new uh, surface and polish it down so it, it, um, it would be free from leaks and it will help seal better. Um, the valve plates will then be torn apart. Now, we buy an exorbitant amount of brand-new valve plates. But at the same time, we also um, – take uh, the valve plates to go through a process of being checked for thickness and um, uh, quality and make sure that all the tolerances are correct. And at that point, they won't just be reused. They'll be completely stripped down. All the valves, the suction and the discharge valves will be thrown out. Um, and then they'll go through their own cleaning process and then go through uh, another area of our machining uh, where they'll get cut on uh, surface grinders to the same finish. Some of them are the same machines that the manufacturers use to cut the, the brand new valve plates and they'll be cut checked again for thickness make sure everything meets uh, the proper standards and then they'll be sent over for uh, assembly where we'll get brand new valves and everything uh, installed back on them and wait for you know the head to the assembly line uh, but at the same time we also have a ton of brand new valve plates coming in because you know there's always a there's always with a lot of the parts um, you know like with the valve plates there's, there's always a big percentage that just aren't going to make the cut. So they're going to have to be just thrown out. And then uh, the, the, the crankshafts is another big step. So from there, we can take the crankshafts uh, and they'll be, can be cut and um, to uh, uh, an undersize, I mean, over, yeah, undersize where we can uh, put a rod that might be uh, 10 thousandths under or 20 thousandths. So that, that's one process. Or we'll send them out for uh, re-chroming where they'll get a whole new, um, you know, brought right back to standard or they get thrown out and uh, you get brand new crankshafts. So those are the three possible options of, a, of the life of a crankshaft. And, you know, they get checked for hairline frack, uh, cracks and most of the open drive cranks get thrown out because of the, even if everything's good, just because of the taper for, from the pulley or the coupling. Um, if there's any wear and any wiggle or whatnot, obviously that's not going to 
be good for operation. So they'll just be uh, thrown out. And then um, from from uh, there, there's also the there's also the the motor department. So the stators that come out of the compressor, um, you know, they come out in all different uh, conditions. So you know, some are um, look like they're brand new and they go through a very very stringent uh, requalification process, and others um, are burnt burnt to a crisp, as you can imagine. You know, <laughs> some real bad burnouts. You know. Um, and they will be uh, completely uh, processed where they'll they'll get cut, um, uh, they'll get burned, they'll go through a, uh, another cleaning process uh, similar to uh, the casting where they go in an oven, but it's a different oven, and they'll um, and they run at different temperatures, and because uh, we don't want to damage the laminations of the of the stator iron, and then we'll uh, get the copper removed from them, and then they'll be. Uh, uh, cleaned and uh, prepped and then sent up to uh, our motor winders. Um, at the same time, we also bring in a ton of new stator irons as well that we'll rewind uh, also. Because uh, just just like I was mentioning about the uh, crankshafts or the castings, not every everyone's going to make the cut and some of them are just too far gone to be to be repaired or some are unrepairable. So they'll they'll be uh, they'll be tossed. Um, so we go through a stringent motor refallocation standard. Um, all our motors are wound in house. We try to, you know, pride ourselves on uh, all the process and doing is everything we can in house. And we've kind of built the company that way because one, it helps with production, it helps with lead time, and it, and the most important thing is it really helps us keep on top of the the quality aspect. Um, another unique thing, unique thing that we do with uh, all our, our stator uh, motors that are um, forty horsepower and up. So they those are the ones that have like the larger larger stack uh, that after they're wound, we actually uh, have a go through a VPI process. Now VPI is vacuum uh, pressure impregnation. So they go into these chambers where we'll pull a vacuum on it for a specified amount of time. And then after that, we'll then uh, introduce the, the varnish uh, into the tank. And uh, it'll, uh, since it's being introduced on their vacuum, will help, help get uh, sucked up into the slots of the, uh, the stator uh, uh, the stator iron and really deep down. So the idea is like on a lot of the, the bigger motors that are uh, 40 horsepower and up, the, the stacks are way longer. So we want to ensure besides uh, doing just a standard uh, dip and, uh, you know, the dip varnish and then baking it that, you know, we want to make sure that's really penetrating into the, the stator iron. So that can help prevent like slot burns and stuff like that. So after it goes through that process, it will, uh, the varnish will get um, introduced, and then it'll then uh, uh, we'll then apply um, a certain amount of uh, nitrogen pressure into the tank uh, for another you know certain amount of time, and let that sit for quite quite a bit of time. And then after that, it'll then go into the oven to be baked. And after after that, after uh, either that process or the dip and bake process after baking, um, you know, the harden and set the varnish, the you know protect the coils and insulate, help insulate it. Um, they'll then go through their own separate process of them being, getting the excess varnish t uh, taken off, uh, polished, tested. Most of our motors are tested multiple times. So um, on every rewind, before it even leaves the, the rewind section of the, of the plant, it'll then be, uh, we'll test it be, and then it'll go come down uh, to where we then go through the varnishing process and whatnot. And then it will be tested again um, um, and then it'll be tested after it comes out of the, it's, you know, through the whole process, it'll get tested be 
after it comes out of the the clean uh, the varnishing process and the polishing and and getting the the um, the terminals put on or the stake ons or what have you depending on the model. And then, believe it or not, then it gets tested again when it goes in, you know, obviously in the compressor when it gets run tested. So a stator in our, in our plan is tested like four or five times before it's even, um, you know, leaves the facility. And it's because you want to make sure it's good at, at, at every step. Nothing's happened somewhere between each step and you know, one step where it could have got hit or damaged. You know, we take the proper precautions. We just want to make sure. So uh, our, our stators are tested on a digital watt ohm meters. Um, you know, on our oscilloscopes and Lexapro for high pot testing and whatnot. Um, and um, at that point, we, you know, with the digital ohmmeter measuring as low as like one ten thousandth of an ohm, we, we do that to check the balance of the coils and the conductivity of all soldered connections. Um, from that point, they'll then go out to, uh, to uh, the line or it goes in the storage waiting for that production model to hit, hit the line. So at that point, the stator's kind of, you know, we, we, I went through a little bit of how the stator goes um, and the motor and um, the casting's now ready. So you got the motor ready, you got the casting ready, the valve plates are assembled. Now we, we start working on, um, uh, well, there's the other valve. So there's a few valve plates that we do. So because there's all the different models we do. So there's the carriers, the Copelands, from Train to York. Um, and they're all, you know, there's different departments depending on, you know, the manufacturer, because uh, some of them have different, uh, processes that need to be done. Um, we also have, you know, the oil pumps, we pretty, predominantly use uh, new oil pumps on, on everything. Um, and then um, the casting hits the line. Um, we'll, at that point, it will then be laid out with the parts. So we'll put brand new rods, pistons, uh, compression rings, oil rings. Uh, it gets all laid out. The crankshafts then match with the body. New bearings get put in, always new bearings. We don't ever reuse any bearings at any point. Uh, besides, even if you left bearings in the body through the through the uh, burning process um, of uh, the, for, for, through our cleaning, putting into the oven and whatnot, they're not going to come out usable anyway. You would cook all um, cook all the grease right out of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll just it's just destroy them. And then there's all different types of bearings depending on the manufacturer. And because we're dealing with so many different um, compressors uh, from that are were designed at different times with different technologies, if you will. Um, you know, uh, some of them are older models, so they, they, they have different style of bearings. So like, if you look at the, a lot of the old Copelmetics, they're still building, uh, being built, even the Copeland factory with brass bearings in them, uh, which, you know, can, can cause some issues, uh, in, in the field because they can't handle liquid at all. Um, they'll lock up immediately. Not like any compressor really can, but on, on brass, you really, they're very unforgiving, forgiving. Um, and then there's some of the uh, bearings that are Babbitt based, and then there's the, the newer the newer materials that are now Teflon or PTFE bearings that put in, which uh, are you know significantly better. Um, so we then uh, insert the the bearings into the castings and uh, into the oil pumps or the bearing housing that the oil pump will mount to. The crankshaft will go go with it. The parts will all get laid out. And then it'll run to the assembly line. Now we run different assembly lines, one you know, for different manufacturers. So we have typically the Copeland and the carrier side, and then um, some of the bigger machines. Uh, I'll, I'll touch base on in a second because you know the bigger machines can't go on the assembly line because the size is you know vastly different. So they'll then get um, uh, assembled mechanically. But what's important to note is that like they they get checked with QC at so many steps prior to this. So before a com the casting gets inspected not just at the machine shop, but after the machining uh, 
process. Um, the stagers get checked, like I said, four or five times before you even leave the building uh, in the compressor. Um, the castings on the assembly line will get uh, stamped uh, QC approval before anybody's allowed to assemble the, comp the compressor. And not just the casting, the casting gets stamped after all the cylinders have been checked. And it has all proper tracing paperwork. So, I mean, you can have a compressor out in the field and you have something going on. Um, I mean, it could be troubleshooting with you. And we could, you just tell us a serial number. We could tell you everything about that compressor from who built it or what day it was built, what the exact measurements were, you know, down to the, you know, half of a thousandth, uh, down to, uh, you know, if it's standard, uh, did we cut any, we machined anything to a uh, different size or any, any, anything like that, what parts went into it. So we have full, you know, traceability. The, but before the assembly uh, assembler can start assembling it, we stamp the casting. We stamp. Uh, they inspect the, the rod, uh, the rod and piston assemblies that we've assembled together. They get a stamp stamp on it. Uh, the valve plates get checked. The crankshaft gets stamped, checked. The oil pumps uh, uh, gets checked. So if you ever opened up a, a compressor, if that one probably that hasn't been running for a very long time, um, uh, you could open it up and you could see. Uh, that the casting has a stamp, the cylinders all, um, the pistons in each cylinder is going to have a QC stamp on it. And it's, it's important, you know, uh, to ensure that just to make sure that nothing being assembled is not double checked by somebody else that wasn't doing the job prior, which is important because you can't have somebody check themselves, you know. Um, and then at that point, the machine gets fully assembled on the mechanical side and then compressors that have um, connecting rods that are not uh, elliptical that actually have, you know, a rod cap that has to be bolted and torqued. Uh, internally, the, a second person, believe it or not, comes in and, and retorques every uh, rod bolt in there and signs off on it. So there's no possibility of, you know, an assembler uh, had a, a bad day or a bad, you know, night before and came in and uh, just wasn't his 100% self. Uh, they weren't their 100% self and uh, missed, the, missed the rod. Uh, when torquing, uh, each one gets torqued twice by two separate people, and that's the same with the uh, all the exterior bolts um, throughout the process. So, um, any questions so far about you know the process? Yeah, I got a quick question. Uh, what sure. what is the so is a pretty extensive process. What is the average amount of time that it takes for all this entire process to happen? And I, you know, I know that there's some that are just going to go on a shelf, but uh, from the time that you start with the you know, the, the ream or the, the core, how long does it take before you have an assembled compressor and going through all these steps? Well, if I followed it, um, I mean, in, 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 in some cases, if you did an expedite, which, uh, in, in some rare cases, if there was an expedite, we're out of something, a customer needs it and, uh, or it's a custom order and it's somehow ridiculously, uh, critical, we could probably do it within 24 to 48 hours, depending on, on the, uh, the model and, you know, the availability of everything that we have in terms of parts and, uh, you know, the motor, if we have the motor in stock, which we typically have everything in stock. But like I said, we do some, besides the standard stuff and the new models that we do, we do a lot of, uh, you know, obsolete stuff as well still. Um, so, you know, that, that could uh, play a role in, in timing. But um, I would say this, the standard uh, product going through the standard production time, it'd probably be... Um, about a week's time uh, as it go, uh, meanders through the whole process. Yeah, I was going to say that's a pretty extensive process. I, I can't imagine that it's done quickly. No, um, no, no, not at all. Do you guys, and I just wanted to touch on that, uh, 
tightening the uh, bearing bolts on the crankshaft, there was a, a guy, he's going to be listening to this probably and, and hate that I'm telling his story, but he was, <laughs> he was rebuilding a Vilter 12-cylinder, uh, got a phone call during the rebuild and took the phone call and then came back and forgot that he hadn't tightened uh, the bearing cap on one of the connecting rods. And mm-hmm. that made for a very bad day on startup and an expensive, oh. expensive lesson. I think we had to pull the crankshaft and have it, uh, you know, reground and, you know, welded up. Oh, and yeah. Machined and all that stuff. But, yeah, I, I was just uh, sitting here thinking about that when you said that because, man, it doesn't take a whole lot to not get those tight and then start them up and have some issues down the road. So I was, appreci- oh, yeah. I was appreciating the uh, QC <laughs> process there. Yes. And you know what? And that's, that's what we don't want to happen. I mean, listen, we run test everything, right? So we run test everything to, if we made a mistake, we want to find it before it leaves our facility. But you know what? Uh, you know, you, just because you leave a rod cap loose, maybe you just hind it enough, right? But you didn't torque it. And, you know, it might've got past test, but that's why we, in, in, you know, instituted, you know, double process on that where two separate people do it and they have to sign off on it because, you know, that, that's such a critical, uh, you know, area of the compressor that, you know, you do not want to make that mistake. Absolutely. You know? And it could be costly, not just for me, it could be costly for the customer, you know? Yeah. And downtime and all that stuff, just getting it yeah. re- returned and, and redone. Yeah. And yep, I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> hey, this is that's Ulysses. Good. I was just wondering, yeah. uh, you run the Instagram, right? Yes. Um, yeah, it's, I'm the main person. It's, it's a good Instagram. I really like it. And I like all those questions, even though I get half of them wrong, <laughs> but, but they're keep them coming. But I just had a question. What's uh, usually the main type of failure you see when you receive a, when you receive compressors in that you see, you know, it is, it is across the board. Um, I would say, um, the majority, believe it or not, you see a lot of electrical failures mm-hmm. and within that you get, single you see single phasing even though it might not be as common as some of the others but you do see single phase failures um i mean you would think that you get less of that now with some of the better protection out there but you know it believe not still happens pretty consistently um and then you know some of the other electrical failures that you'd see from that you, you could tell from overheating from like short cycling that overheats the the motor or whatnot but believe it or not a lot of the ones that we see is um they look electrical but when you dive a little bit deeper um, they're actually mechanical electrical. And what I mean by that is, you know, a discharge valve broke and somehow it, you know, made its way, um, through to the stator and it hit, hit the stator and it failed it electrically. Um, and that's, that's probably one of the more common, common issues that we see, you know, believe it or not, where it's more of a mechanical electrical failure than just a straight electrical. Yeah, that makes sense. I was looking on the website. It says you also do oil analysis. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we, we you know, we, we sell a bunch of oil. Uh, obviously, it's one of our product lines that we, we sell because it goes very, you know, hand in hand with compressors, right? And um, uh, we offer oil analysis. So, you know, um, you get a screw compressor from us. You know, we uh, mandated that you must uh, do an oil analysis and we actually give an oil analysis kit, you know, free of charge with the compressor but it needs to come back uh, so we can ana- analyze it because, you know, not like oil is not um, important with um, reciprocating compressors, but it is super critical that, that, that the oil has been changed or is in, you know, impeccable condition on a screw compressor, especially in those reservoirs. 
Um, so we go off of that and, you know, uh, you, you send it in, we, we send it out. We don't do it. We have a deal with the laboratory and we send it out and it'll go through, um, you know, uh, uh, the type, you know, what's going on with you all. If there's uh, moisture or water in it, uh, if it's acidic, um, if there's uh, metallic uh, components. So they'll, you know, let you know if there's copper or there's, you know, cast iron, you know, iron in it and, and so forth and so on. And then we'll send the report back to you and, let you know if it's critical, uh, it's, you know, ab slightly abnormal, highly critical, or, you know, right where it uh, needs to be. Hey, Jason, it's Ruben. Um, when talking about Copeland, um, mm -hmm. like, let's say, 3Ds, uh, 4D mm -hmm. compressors with the uh, oil pumps, how many failures do you see that were actually caused by a bad oil pump? By a bad oil pump? Yeah. Meaning, like from factory, that the oil pump was bad. Yeah, or, 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 or it, oil it pump just something failures. happened to it. Yeah. Um, you know what? It, it's not as much as you'd think, but it, it is something that comes up. Not saying you know we or oil pumps are tested in the factory, and then we we also tested our uh, during testing. And as far as um, you know, system conditions and whatnot, it really depends on some models are more prevalent than others. But obviously, if if a compressor takes takes on refrigerant or lip, too much liquid coming back to it and um, it starts sucking um, liquid refrigerant and not oil you, you know how, you know the oil pump's not gonna last very long the compressor's not gonna last very long but it, it you know that would be you know something that you know the oil pump's not gonna not gonna last through but I wouldn't say it was um, as far as percentage wise I wouldn't say it's it's the the you know on the high side of the standard of um, a, a compressor failures from what we see. Okay. Yeah. Cause we were talking about that the other day and we've uh, all kind of sort of agreed that oil pumps aren't very likely to fail. No, no, they'll, they'll, and depending on the model too, some are way more robust than others. Um, and just, you know, how it's, how it's designed. I mean, you know, now you got a lot, you know, again, like I mentioned before with the safeties and stuff, a lot of compressors, you have the, the Copeland's with the Centronic oil pumps, you can put the uh, oil pressure sensors uh, into them and integrate that into, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the module and the terminal box or, you know, with the Copa and the core sense. With us, we can integrate it with a Cree one module. Uh, the Frasco compressors that we sell, you know, brand new, uh, that manufacturer, you know, a lot of their larger reships all come standard with the oil pressure sensors, um, you know, pressure differential sensor in the oil pump. So this is all stuff that, you know, will help uh, – not just save the compressor, but save the oil pump if something starts not going right. Hey, Jason, Chad here. Um, I, had Hi, Chad. A, I had a couple things I wanted to uh, ask you or talk about. Um, sure. I noticed on the on your guys' Instagram, uh, you had a picture of a hermetic compressor that you guys had rebuilt. Can you mm -hmm. kind of go through? Um, is it kind of is it common for you guys? Is it uncommon to do the hermetics? Is it kind of the same process as the semi-hermetics? Well, the one you're talking about is a CRHK train compressor, which comes in a 20 ton, 25 ton, and 30 ton. So it'd be a CRHK 200, 250, or 300 model. Um, we don't, we don't do scroll compressors or whatnot. We sell brand new scrolls. We distribute them uh, from Danfoss to Invotech and uh, some others, and even sell some uh, Copeland ones. Um, but what you saw there was a CRHK compressor, which is not, this hermetic is not a scroll. It's actually a reciprocating compressor. It's a reciprocating compressor standing uh, vertically opposed to horizontal. So um, it's almost similar to like, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with a 
train share HM compressor. Uh, but it's almost kind of like the same same thing, but standing upright inside the shell. So what we do with that is that obviously goes through this assembly. It'll, it'll end up in this assembly, but there's a step prior to that. The step prior to that, it goes through a machining uh, department, uh, a separate mach uh, machine in the factory that's uh, a Bullard machine, It's which is kind of like a big, uh, a gigantic uh, vertical lathe. I mean, the machine weighs like a few tons. Um, and it goes on there and we machine, uh, carefully machine the weld off. Uh, pop the cap off. And then at that point, you know, it's, it's a reciprocating compressor. You see the stator motor, which is right at the top. Um, the, the oil is at the bottom. It, it does not technically have a standard pump. It kind of siphons it up the bottom by from the crankshaft spinning. Um, and um, we disassemble it. And then at that point, it goes through the same, same process as uh, the rest of the compressor until it's time to go back, put back into the shell. And at that point, we put it back in the shell um, we'll then, uh, you know, do a quick run test because we want to make sure everything's good before we weld that, you know, that compressor back up. Um, and then at that point, it'll then go to back, we'll go to our welding department and there we will, um, uh, set, set the, you know, the cover back on. We have, you know, specialized, uh, jigs to make sure all the alignments right. It'll go on and then we'll, um, um, you know, tack weld it, uh, make sure, uh, everything looks good. If there's not, um, a perfectly tight fit in some areas. We'll 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 do some extra welding here and there because you know these shells from the cutting and whatnot can warp slightly. Um, not enough that you would ever notice, but you know on a machining level when you look at it, it can. Uh, when you're trying to fit the top to the bottom, and then at that point after we're done doing the the initial weld, we actually have a um, uh, automated submer submerged arc welder, which will then come in and do a. a beautiful weld around the whole shell it's uh we like to say it looks even nicer than the original um because you know we try to make improvements when we can um and um it it has a nice clean uh pure weld because it's a submerged arc and then it goes back up to test to get retested again make sure everything's good and um and then gets gets painted and uh, goes through the rest of the process which i could finish going through a little bit but yeah that's a a, a hermetic reciprocating compressor very nice. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about that I saw on your guys' website was the Invotech uh, semi-hermetic scroll compressor. Looks pretty awesome. Um, do, yes. you, do you see that coming to the U.S. at any time, or is it here already, or is it just overseas? You mean the, the semi-hermetic, the one that can be open and closed? That is, um, we have not seen a lot of them. It's something that I think we will because it's become you know they, they make them in a larger tonnage, uh, and it's something I think we will see. I mean. I, I saw them initially back in the day. Um, I, I remember seeing it at HR show and having a conversation and having a conversation with um, the manufacturer. It wasn't Invotech then. I think it was um, uh, Fusheng, which we, we, we do, which one of the screw compressors that we sell and uh, remanufacture as well. Um, uh, but it, they offer also offer a uh, you know semi-hermetic scroll. I don't know. I think it, it might be something down the line that we might see, but I, I'm not. I'm not sure yet. I, I know it's it's more popular overseas than it is here, um, but it is definitely it's definitely cool, and I'm curious to see where that goes. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, Jason, it's Ulysses. Um, so I have yeah. a few. I think I have like two compressors I need to order. So how would one go about getting a compressor from y'all? Okay. Well, you can always if you're not sure if you're sure if I have a distributor in your state or near you or whatnot. Uh, we we. We operate with, through a lot of distributors around the country, and if you call us and we we have a distributor in your area, we uh, you call our you know main number, 
um, which obviously is on our website or social media stuff. You can always email us. Um, uh, you can, you know, email us and whatnot. And then we'll, we will either steer you towards one, but if we happen not to be have representation in your area or your state, then you can deal with us direct. And we do have distribution points that we set up through around the country uh, to try to, you know, cut down lead time. But, you know, even if something had to come out of the factory, in most cases, um, it, within the continental U.S., we can get it to you uh, relatively pretty pretty quick. Um, so, you know, just go about that. You can give us a call and we can go through it. Um, you know, you give us the model number. And that, that's important. We always want the model number. And besides just the model number, we're going to ask you some questions. Because uh, I'm sure, as you guys know, uh, out in the field, uh, uh, compressors and equipment uh, might not might have been altered over the over, over its uh, course of life. Uh, where they might have taken an unloading head off or added an unloading head for capacity control because of whatever the issue they want to try to change uh, or uh, fix. And we want to make sure that just because your nomenclature says it's a non-unloading compressor, we want to make sure that, you know, it it uh, definitely is that. So you don't get it there. It's like, wait a second, I actually have an unloader, um, you know, uh, you know, capacity control head on it or, or, or whatnot. So, uh, so that's probably the best way to go about it. The other new thing that we have and you can always go to our website. We do have a, you know, you could go through our compressor catalog, which has like 1,100 different variations on compressors. And you can do a request for quote through that. And then the newest thing we just recently launched is the National Compressor app. So you can actually download, it's a free application. Um, once you register for it, you can um, uh, say, you know, click, hey, I want to order a compressor or quote a compressor. Um, and to get a compressor quote, it'll then ask, it'll then ask you to use your, uh, the camera on your phone and you can it'll you can hold it over the compressor tag and it'll scan the tag the model number and populate that now some of the tags are definitely weathered as you know, as i'm sure you've seen over the years so if you can't if it's not picking up you can always type it in and from there it'll actually populate and tell you a bunch of stuff it'll tell you well hey, th based on the nomenclature this compressor is um you know 460 volt or 208 or 230 or multi-voltage it is um you know, 37 CFM, it should have one head, like if it's an 060, it should have one head of suction cutoff unloading on it. And then from there, I'll ask you some other questions of like, hey, uh, what refrigerant you're running? Um, uh, what oil and what oil would you need in this compressor? Um, or would you need a chip with it? What accessories uh, would you need to, you know, help make the, 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 the job a little bit more seamless? So do you need, if it's a carrier, do you need the compressor be shipped with and installed with a electric unloader or a pressure unloader? Um, do you need a crankcase heater and what voltage? So it goes through a whole gamut of stuff to just, you know, um, since you're on, we kind of came up with the idea of doing that and trying to, and our customers are trying to use it, seem to like it. Cause you know what, they can get their texts in the field when they're there to, to go through this, you know, ask them the questions, you know, come to us. And before they probably even leave the job site, we can have a quote back to you. Uh, so it's asking you the questions when you're there, not when you leave. And then we say, Hey, um, are you sure it has this? Like, well, you know, we're not, we're not there anymore. We don't, you know, we have to go back and check. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a good app. And from there, you can also access our YouTube videos. Um, you can register the compressor. You can, um, once you have it, you can save it, put a picture of the compressor after you installed it in there, um, in the app. So you can always go back to see which compressor you got from us and whatnot. And you can put some notes in there for yourself. And if that exact model you need to order again, you just click it and say, I, I need to order this exact model again. And it even allows you to uh, process a warranty through it as well. Very nice. I'm downloading the app right now as we speak. No, great. Um, I had a kind of off-topic question, but 
What's the oldest compressor that that you've seen that y'all have rebuilt? Um, well, there's a, there's a lot of old ones out there. Um, and you know what? Some of the other guys in the facility would probably be uh, have been there longer and whatnot would probably be able to tell you better stories of some of the real old ones that were you know designed in you know the the, the 50s or whatnot. Um, but you know, we had one that came back, and we actually had the tag hanging in in uh, the office somewhere and you know nice display with a little note on the you know message under it it was one that we remanufactured um you know in our first facility when we first started out over 42 years ago and it, it had the old tag and uh the customer is still a good customer of ours and they brought it and said it's like i bought this compressor from you like you know like i said it was uh at that time this was a number of years back uh he said over 30 years ago and that compressor was running um, since the day they got it for 30 plus years. Was it still under warranty? Yeah, they got another one now. But yeah, that would be one hell of a warranty. <laughs> yeah. so. hey, hey, while while these guys are busy trying to download the app here, I wanted to go back to the, you mentioned about the electrical failures. Um, Copeland, a number of years ago, actually started requiring uh, proof of receipt of a contactor being purchased at the time of the compressor. Do you yeah. guys require anything like that for your remanufactured, uh, remanufactured compressors going out? We, we actually don't. And it's something that was, uh, uh, a topic of discussion that came up that, you know, uh, we don't offer that, but it's, we, we were talking about it recently because we, we think it's a pretty good, uh, policy to have. It, it makes it a little bit more difficult. I mean, Copeland's an OEM, they can be a little bit more stringent than we can, us being on the aftermarket side. Uh, we do uh, we do sell contactors, and we do try to convince customers to buy them with every compressor. Because you know, if it is a single phase warranty, um, we'll we'll give you the warranty in most cases. But it's um, you know, it's why have it if you have a contact? If you change the contact, you give a way less likely of a chance of having uh, some of these uh, uh, electrical failures. I mean, I think it's pretty good protocol on uh, um, changing the contactor with the compressor. Yeah, I mean, it's cheap insurance is how I think yes. we look at it. 100%. Always compared to the price of the uh, compressor, it's going to be yep. really cheap. Um, kind of hitting on a little bit of what you were just saying, I, there's, I think that there's a little bit of a stigma uh, out there maybe uh, about remanufactured compressors. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely, I think, a... Uh, an, an aisle and on one side of it you have the people that are saying you know i'm, I'm only ever going to buy an oem compressor and then on the other side of it is the people who've had good experience i think with the remanufactured mm-hmm. compressors do you have an idea of why there's this stigma and is it i, I know maybe just because not all the i don't want to answer for you but i'm just thinking mm-hmm. that maybe just because not all the other shops are at the same level or can you talk to that, about that a little bit yeah 100 percent um yeah, you know, I think I think it's a mix of, of, of a bunch of things. One, um, you know, um, depending on the OEM, some of the OEM, OEMs have put some over the years, some good marketing campaign out, you know, against us. Um, but at the same time, you can't blame blame them in some regards, because there are a lot of guys out there that don't do what, you know, we what we do. I mean, you know, we're one of the largest independent remanufacturers in the country. Uh, but, you know, we got that way from the, you know, the quality and whatnot. Like one of our slogans is always remanufactured, never rebuilt. When it comes to our remanufactured line of compressors, we don't consider ourselves a rebuilder. We don't like the name. We like to say remanufactured because it's really uh, being manu- remanufactured to the facility at all the different steps. 
Uh, and when it comes out, it's like a brand new compressor. Um, but there are a lot of guys that are repair shops and whatnot. And unfortunately, they give us a bad name. But I mean, you know, it, it, it comes down to uh, price. Now, I can't be the same price as the OEM because if I was, you know, you'd be like, oh, what, what's the advantage? You know, we provide a savings and, um, and you know, that's why we're in business. And we provide, we like, we also provide great service, we feel. Uh, a little bit more customized and whatnot. As far as some of the other companies that might be out there that give us remanufacturers a bad name, you know, they're doing a repair, they're more of a repair, um, you know, and you can kind of tell a lot of times because the price is, you know, sometimes when the price is too good, you know, there's, there's a reason, you know, why it's that good. You know, it, you know, uh, can't be, you know, it might be too cheap and it's, you know, too cheap for a reason. Um, you know, another thing out there, you know, a lot of people believe that if they go to the local, uh, you know, OEM wholesaler, um, they're going to get a, they're getting, they're purchasing a brand new compressor, uh, which is also some misinformation out there. In, in most cases, when uh, you go to a, you know, OEM distributor or whatnot, you're getting a, their remanufactured compressor. So you're actually not getting a, a new compressor. Yeah, I mean, it's coming out of a remanufactured, just their remanufacturing shop. Yeah, their remanufacturing, but it's not sure. new. But I have a lot of people that, you know, I've heard over the years of telling me, I said, well, I only like to buy new. I said, well, you're not, you're not, <laughs> not buying, buying new. new. <laughs> I mean, I'm not knocking their quality. It's, you know, uh, of course they're putting out great quality, but it's, it's let's not call it new. You know, it's remanufactured like ours, and we like to think that we take all the extra steps and precautions and try to go above and beyond where we can, um, you know, to provide such a great product. Uh, along those same lines, what is the uh, warranty through National Compressor? The warranty for, with us is the same as your own. We we match with the OEM does, and um, we'll take it a step further and offer extended warranties as well. So depending on the model, um, on some models, we offer full two-year standard warranties. Um, and on some others, we offer the standard one-year warranty. Um, and then if you want to increase it to five years, we'll offer an extended warranty up to five years. All right, great. And then uh, are the compressors tested before they leave the facility? 100%. Uh, that's something that we spent a lot of time time on, um, and it, it, it's critical uh, with us. So all our compressors uh, are um, tested on like a, a custom-built, uh, fully computer-automated test system. And, uh, and we have some pictures on our website you can see. I should probably do some more on the social media and go through some of the cool stuff that, you know, it, it – it does. Yeah, you're, you're um, lagging on the social media stuff, man. You need to like, step up the game there. <laughs> yeah, and then now you're going to give me a complex. You're gonna wait, <laughs> wait till, uh... All next week is just going <laughs> to be the run testing. <laughs> People are going to be like, well, you're not doing your job. The ground posting, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but, uh, yes, every single compressor is tested. So it gets it gets um, hooked up, um, you know, uh, on the electrical side and on the suction discharge. Um well, we could test that, you know, pretty much any voltage from uh, uh, the standard ones are from 200 all the way up to 575 volt, believe it or not. Um, and then it literally, once once they scan the serial number and, and get the scan the, bar, uh, the barcode for the model number, the computer takes over uh, the majority of it. Um, uh, it'll, it'll do uh, the full electrical test before it even runs it. So it'll go through a high pot test again. Um, it will do um, check resistance. Um, you know, make sure that everything's good, even and equal. It'll obviously, uh, 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 you know, check the mega uh, ohm on the compressor. I'll check the resistance on the um, uh, on the uh, overloads, uh, the thermistors, and then once it starts, um, 
it'll then, uh, depending on the model, obviously all the parameters change based on the model, but it'll, it'll monitor oil pressure and uh, forward and reverse depending on the model. So some, some models aren't reversible um, with, the, with the direction. So it'll do oil pressure forward and reverse. Uh, it will record uh, CFM delivery by stages of unloading. Um, it'll then also record the amp amperage, um, you know, based based on the stages of unloading as well, and then uh, full load amps and whatnot. It'll, it'll have all that recorded. It, we even we even go as far as doing vibration analysis on a horizontal and vertical scale, which is important to make sure that compressor is you know not vibrating in any weird way. Maybe something, uh, you know, uh, some valve had some issue that somehow we didn't catch, or a valve, uh, you know, a gasket didn't seat right when they put the valve plate on and onto the cylinder, uh, you know, onto the casting, something. Um, the crankshaft could be out of balance, which, you know, we check all that stuff, but, you know, we, we want to really run it through the paces at test. Um, and then um, after it's done with going through all that, um, it'll then do a leak back check uh, where we'll, um, you know, lock it off and it'll um, pump it up to, you know, a certain uh, high pressure. And then uh, we'll, you know, through the computer, it'll chart the leak back to check for the valve efficiency. Now, the the leak uh, the run test computer also even prior to running, it'll then um, uh, tell you which oil to put into it and how much. So the operator is not doing anything except uh, hooking up the oil, um, you know, the uh, the oil gun to it, and then the computer will pump it in and stop when it's at the right charge, and and that's that. So we'll go through all that, and then when it's done. Uh, what you when you get a compressor from us, what that compressor ran in our factory, you will get a copy of that sheet uh, with the compressor in the, in the packet that ships out with every compressor with the uh, startup paperwork uh, for you guys to work through to make sure everything's good and any other pertinent information that could be there from um, you know uh, how to install and unload it to how to properly wire it to any other stuff from torque specs. We throw it all in there. So you don't, you know, if you come across something, you don't have to, you know, uh, you're not sure, you don't have to give us a call. Even though we're there for you with our tech support, we're there. But you know, we like to give you as much information as possible, so you know, you have it at your fingertips. But in there will be the run test results as well, and that that gets printed at time of the the tag, which is connected to our other computer at shipping and finishing, which is called the watch. We call it the watchdog because it watches over everything. And what's what's cool about that is that when it gets there, it won't print the tag until we scan the barcode and it um, it has like an interlock to make sure that the compressor has been tested and passed. So if by some chance a compressor just happened to skip tests and nobody knows, uh, which is impossible, but just say it happened or it failed test, but still kept going through the rest of the process and got, got you know, uh, up to that point, um, there'll be a red bar that goes across our screen that says failed. And it won't allow the um, the compressor to ship, so it won't print the tag. You know, you can't get any other. And you have the you know this big red bar across the screen saying you know there's a problem here that it hasn't been tested or you know failed test. Oh, that's interesting. On the on the run test machine, is that uh, is, is it uh, compressed air or what are they? What are you guys running with the compressors? Yeah, on on on, on our reciprocating compressor, we do. Um, uh, a we have a we built a custom uh, you know dry air uh, system so it's compressed air uh, and it's um, you know we have a specialized uh, air compressor that's you know oilless try to you know keep the oil down in the uh, in the moisture and everything so it's a dry air system um, and that's how we emulate um, you know back pressure and everything like that 
And then before the compressors leave, are, are they sent out with a charge or nitrogen or the dry air? Yes. Or, or Okay, so with nitrogen They are. Charge? So at that point, uh, at that point, the compressor is obviously not done. Uh, at that point, we'll go through a um, uh, a few processes. So we'll we'll leak check. We believe in that we leak check our compressors um, prior to testing, and then we'll do a more elaborate leak test after testing. Um, so after it's done with test, it'll go through a dehydration process to make sure um, that we get all the um, the moisture out of the compressor because we don't know how long it's going to be sitting on the shelf or even that you know we have a lot of customers that buy compressors for critical applications and leave them in their facility um, for backup. Um, and then we work, we have a special plan for that for those type of customers where we can extend the warranty and, and whatnot. But after the dehydration process, it will then go through a leak detection process. And we don't just, the standard is we don't just dunk it in a, in a tank of water, you know, like you, you would uh, check a, you know, uh, a tire. Uh, we've, we've advanced it from that. We still have that, that we still have a tank of water for certain, certain instances when we can't figure out the leak and, and whatnot. But in most cases, a, every single compressor goes through our, another computer automated system, which will then do, a, a, a you know, a pressure decay test on it to make sure there's no major leak. And then after that, we'll actually charge every compressor with helium and do a helium sniffer test to make sure that will find even the smallest of leaks. And then after that, it'll um, evacuate it back out and then put a holding charge in. We just don't um, put a holding charge in um, that, you know, we, it's, a, it's a light charge. It's between, you know, the computer puts in between 15 and 25 uh, pounds of nitrogen. Awesome. And we don't go higher than that because of insurance reasons and stuff, you know, all the crazy things you got to worry about this day and age. Yeah, pe- <laughs> people on the other side pulling shaders out and... Getting blasted yeah. in the face. Yeah, exactly. Oh, me? <laughs> Ulysses. <Or> un- <laughs> unsweating copper caps. Do you, you guys have any other questions? Is there anything we didn't hit on, Jason, that you wanted to go over? Well, we also have the whole screw compressor line, too. So uh, I kind of went over the reciprocating. And um, besides the reciprocating, we also have a separate line, like I said, for the bigger machines. So we have the the big JS Yorks and the big E-trains and the Siri Chars and the 5H line and even the 6L and even some of the more obsolete stuff, like the Worthington and stuff that we're still able to do. Um, and then we have the screw compressor line, which we, you know, um, remanufacture a whole range of screw compressors from York uh, to um, uh, Train, the Carrier, Fusheng, Hitachi, um, uh, Bitchers, uh uh, but the mainstay is the carriers, uh, carriers, trains, and and Yorks and Hitachi's uh, is you know predominantly what we do out of there, um, and um, we also offer even do Dunnebush com- uh, screw compressors as well, the vertical and, and horizontal. Uh, for before they left the United States, uh, you know Hartford Compressor Dunnebush, we were the um, uh, authorized remanufacturer for them uh, for their vertical screw line. Um, and then uh, we're now the authorized uh, North American remanufacturer for fresh gold compressors, which is a new, the third largest compressor manufacturer in the U.S., but newer in the U.S. market. Do you guys, on the screw compressor side, do you guys remanufacture anything from uh, like ammonia compressors for Frick or GEA or Grosso, any of them? Uh, no, we we actually have done a few here and there, but it's not the mainstay. And, uh, you know, we've done in some cases, we've done some, but um, like I said, it's not the mainstay. It's not our standard uh, production. And it's not something we're, you know, pushing uh, uh, forth right now because we're trying to stay focused on some of the other lines. Gotcha. And keeping up with the demand that we have for that now. So. 
Well, we've been talking a lot about your social media. Can you tell people how they can find you on uh, Instagram or any of your other social media and then also how they can just get a hold of you again? I know you mentioned the email address, yeah, but maybe sure. you can throw it out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can always go to uh, you know our Instagram page. It's, just, it's pretty simple. It's a national compressor. So you can go on there and uh, look us up. We do a ton of, you know, they, you know, as they mentioned throughout this, uh, we've put a ton of content out. Some of the, you know, cool compressors that we that are maybe a little rarer that you might not see in the field. We're doing. Uh, I'll post up there. Uh, I'll throw questions up there. And and I know some of them are a little obscure. So, uh, but I I I do that because I, you know, I I think it's entertaining uh, and for people to see some of the different um, types of unloading and terminal plates and you you have it that are out there. Um, we also have our, our Facebook page. We have our uh, YouTube page where we keep putting out more and more uh, uh, videos on how to change a terminal plate to a, um, a valve plate, changing heads, changing and loading heads. Uh, we have some new screw ones up there on how to change the uh, um, oil filters and whatnot on a, on a York screw and the unloaders and how to change a leak on the, on the discharge plate, which seems to be uh, uh, something uh, that happens from time to time. Um, so we go through that and then, uh, there's our website, you know, nationalcompressor.com. And, um, also you can always send us an email at, you could, if you have any questions for me, uh, my email is jrf at nationalcompressor.com. Or you can send, go send it to the standard one, which is just info at nationalcompressor.com. Well, we really appreciate you coming on here and spending some time with us, uh, Absolutely. And talking Thank about you. compressors and getting the information out there. It was awesome of you to do that. And we appreciate it. Of course. Yeah, we, we, I appreciate the opportunity and uh, always love to, the opportunity to talk about the press. Thanks, so, Jason. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Welcome to the HVACR Radio Podcast. Tonight we've got Jason Stiano from National Compressor on to talk more about compressors. And we've got all the guys here tonight. And, uh, son of a bitch.